Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the number one podcast in Armenia. So, a big barev to you all out there. I hope I pronounced that right, Kieran. This is the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and football finance expert at Liverpool University, Kieran Maguire. You've never been Professor Kieran Maguire? So no, should no, Should I no. be calling you Professor? No, no. Or no, Mr? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Mr. Okay. I've got, I've got no qualifications. And and now, I hope everybody listens, added music. Yeah. Added music for the menu. My nice, mate, my mate, the Groove Generator, has uh, has sorted us out a theme tune. Is your mate generally called the Groove Generator? He is the Groove Generator. Well, you were in a band, weren't you? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm completely talentless, but he, he is. Yes, yeah, I'm reluctant to ask you questions out of the blue after what happened with the Blackpool nightclub scenario. <laughs> but, uh, so what's coming up in the show this week? Well, Man City is the only story this week in town. Uh, the richest club, arguably, in the world suddenly getting richer. Uh, but winning trophies could actually cost them money, which is an intriguing uh, concept. Plus, we're going to be talking... Uh, Party manifestos. You may not think that election politics has got too much to do with your football club, but actually you're wrong. Partick Thistle, which is one of the feel-good stories of the season, and of course your questions. Kieran, how are you? Have you had a good break? I have a very good break, yes, but good to be back, good to be back. And and the the fantastic news about Armenia. Uh, uh, Yes, for those of you listening, um, that is genuine news. We're not only the number one sports podcast in Armenia, we are the number one podcast in Armenia, we won't be able to walk down the streets. Armenia High Street is off limits to the pair of us. As will be mob. It's like normal wisdom in Albania. You and I in Armenia. I, did, I probably did pronounce that wrongly because Google Translate was a bit a bit shifty about how you pronounce anything in Armenia. Now, the, the Man City. We weren't going to talk about Man City, but it's it's erupted this morning, basically in the news. Uh, it's a huge story because basically the wealthiest club in the Premier League is now considerably wealthier. Can you give us some context into that story, Kieran? That's right. Um, uh, overnight, uh, a story broke that uh, an American private equity company, these are very rich, very smart investors, um, they've pumped $500 million, or they will be pumping $500 million for 10% of uh, Manchester City. So that, that therefore values City at, at just under $5 billion, wow. which blows everything out of the water. It, they are effectively now the, the biggest sports franchise or sports company uh, in the world now you have to be a little bit careful here because it's not just manchester city that they've acquired but also it's it's the uh, new york city it's melbourne city um and and the other clubs in which they have an interest but, but with all due respect to those other clubs it's mainly manchester city isn't it that's right i, I don't think that there's too many uh, investors who would get excited about uh, you know, a club in uruguay or, or japan at this particular stage but it is a it's it's a huge uh, vote of confidence i think for the the manchester city owners in, in terms of what they've achieved to date from you know, when when they took on this project uh, i think there was a lot of skepticism there's been a lot of cynicism but uh, nobody expected it to be a financial success, and, and that's what it's turned out to be. And it raises the interesting question, because from what you've told us about the Premier League's own finances, Man City are now way, way, way more wealthy than the Premier League, aren't they? Um, yes, I mean, uh, Manchester United have always been sort of the, the gold standard in yeah. terms of what a, a football club is valued at. And, and uh, if, you, if, you go to, uh, if, you, if you go to the financial pages, they're coming out being valued at around about $2.8 So for Manchester City to be so far ahead, I think, is astounding. I think other owners of clubs in the Premier League at that elite level... I think we'll be uh, recalculating what they consider their clubs to be worth. Well, put, put that into context and say so how much, you know who I support, how much would a club like Palace be worth compared to Man City or, or say, Brighton or Burnley? Right. I, I, I did a valuation for somebody 
on Palace earlier this summer. Yeah, it turns out I couldn't afford it, could I? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately <laughs> not. Um, but the, the, the calculations threw out a value of around about 200 to 220 million. So that's about one twentieth of the value of Manchester City. Now, City are not that. In, they're, they're not that much bigger than Palace. Yeah. You know, so in terms of sort, in terms of scale. But then you say, well, where are City generating their money from? Yeah. And it's from big sponsorship deals and it's from the Champions League the Champions League is where it's at uh, these days in in terms of global popularity um, and and in terms of delivering huge amounts of prize money tell us about this company that's invested in in Man City because sport isn't their normal area of business they're more into tech stuff media stuff that's right. Um, well, Silver Lake, it, it's set up by... It's an unusual company in the sense that normally, uh, if you take a football club, you've got a chief executive who's, and then you've got a board of directors. Silver Lake, they've got five guys who are sort of equal partners. Um, they've all come from banking or tech backgrounds, and they, they normally buy uh, sort of 10 to 15 companies a year. Um, and we're talking somewhere in the region of... you know. 500 million to two or three billion dollars at a time so wow. yeah, incredible sums of money so to you and me this is big to them it's so, not. Oh, that's really interesting so from their point of view this is not a headline marquee deal then no no it's not just at sensible all business right so would they would city have approached them or would they have approached city I suspect there will have been some intermediary. There's normally um, a, a silver-tongued banker, accountant, or lawyer um, always trying to broker a deal. Um, I think from the, the, the city owners' point of view, uh, this sort of gives them a kite mark of what they've achieved to date, but also the, the future prospects of of city. I think also if, if you if, if I was an investor, if you were an investor, we say well. What do we think is going to happen to City over the course of yeah. the next few years? The big, you know, the big elephant in the room, as far as City is concerned, is their relationship with UEFA, the potential ban. City must be extremely confident, and the new investors must be extremely confident that that ban is not going to be the case. I, I like the fact that you refer to a silver-tongued accountant. Your, your eyes twinkled when the mere idea of a silver-tongued accountant made you cheer up immensely. So the financial fair play things, obviously that's one of the questions I was going to ask you. City would have laid that on the line or would their own investigations have thrown up? I mean, it wouldn't take a lot of investigating. Everybody knows about it. But would it affect... I, I mean, that's interesting. You, you assume that it means City are absolutely confident it's not going to happen to them. Well, the uh, the, the head of UEFA, uh, is it Seferin? He he was at the the Etihad last night as a guest. He's just been on a tour of the training ground. Now, if if both City and UEFA were parking their their guns on each other's lawn. That's a strange way to go about yeah, it. Yeah. So it looks like there's a thawing of relations. Um, I think there was a little bit of concern that uh, just over a week ago, um, City had applied to the courts to have the the uh, their, their case being taken to the Court for Arbitration for Sport banned. But it's now going to be seen by, right. by the Court for Arbitration for Sport. But looking at what's just happening over the past few days, plus sort of the the noises coming out of Pep Guardiola. Uh, and again, I think that's a huge issue for City yeah. because he is the Manchester City brand to a large extent. Uh, you know, he's, he, he's got such a positive uh, aura around him in terms of his achievements um, that I, I'm sure that the new investors would have been very keen to, to tie him down to a, new t- a long-term deal. And he's sort of been saying, I'll stay here for as long as people want me. So there's clearly a bit of uh, 
uh, a little bit of a romance between all the parties at present. Well, well, conspiracy theory fans will be interested to hear that UEFA were at Man City last night, but having said that, for the rest of us, Man City were playing in the Champions League last night, so it could be related to that as well, couldn't it? Absolutely, uh, and uh, it could be that he's doing his his, uh, his rounds of the different rounds. Yeah. Um, but the timing, um, just right. uh, th- this story broke uh, at midnight in the Financial Times and oh, uh, and okay. it would appear that uh, everything is, is a lot nicer than it was in terms of the relations. Now, something I thought was very interesting uh, that a business journalist said, and I, you know me, I don't often get to say things like that because it's only when you direct me towards the business pages <laughs> that I reluctantly make my way there. But And it's something we've touched on recently, and that's the fact that these guys may know something we don't know about the potential of media rights in, in for English football, in that if Amazon get involved more than they are doing so far, they've got the games coming up the week off, and it's on Boxing Day, that would represent a really good reason for somebody like Silver Lake to invest in English football, because the potential for Amazon to pump even more money than Sky and BT have, have put into it. It's already... I, I've been working on an Amazon show at BT Sport, and there are a lot of people putting two and two together and and assuming that this time next year, Amazon will be using BT Sport's facilities, and then the year after that, they'll be buying Sky out. I mean, you you know how people talk. So do you think that Silver Lake may be looking that far ahead, maybe thinking that if Amazon are involved, the potential for a return on their investment is... Is huge, very much so. Silver Lake will have no emotional investment in this. They will oh, be looking right. at it. As, you know, we are a company. We make money. We make money on behalf of our investors. So, um, what what will normally happen with a private equity company? The way it operates is it goes into a company. Um, it will run it for five to ten years, and it will try to sell it at a profit. And then those profits are given back to the to the to the investors. So, Silver Lake must have some idea as to what is going to happen with. Uh, football income now yeah we've already established stadiums it's it's simply not worthwhile adding on an extra 10,000 seats in a stadium Mm. takes a long time to get your money back Um, the commercial sponsors there is potential there and I think the the big issue with City is they currently own a club in the Chinese third division if they get into the Chinese Super League and that club is successful you can imagine the sponsorship rights there. I didn't notice. So this is another city franchise, if you like, presumably wearing light blue shirts. And yeah, you know, it's interesting. We're being filmed today by BBC Three because they're doing some stuff about Berry. This was the very first topic we spoke about. Uh, the numbers we're talking—it just breaks your heart again. So I imagine that Chinese for the division team would probably be earning more than Berry earn, and it's just a fraction of the money we're talking about. And and suddenly we're talking. But you, know, you casually mentioned Palace is worth 220 million quid, and I, internally I go, oh, that's all right. Then I think there are players who are worth 120 million mm-hmm. quid. So, so City so, yeah, that far ahead of another Premier League team, and it's just, it just seems unfair that a club went out of business when we're talking about. So, when you, and when you say as well that Silver Lake have no emotional investment in football either, it's just money. So, what will what will what will Silver Lake get out of this? What what will they be looking to earn? How much of a return? I presume that as as business people, they say, right, but after three years, five years, ten years, we will expect to get this much back, or would they be looking to sell it on? They they, they will be looking to sell their... They, they, they've bought 10% of City. They'll be looking to sell 10% of City, you know, ideally perhaps five to, five to ten years' time, and uh, they will be looking for a, a return of you know, at least 10 to 15% per year, because 
why why the people that we're dealing with kevin have got money that we cannot conceive yeah, yeah we're talking yeah, about yeah. high net worth individuals that deal in millions without thinking whereas you know i'm sort of resenting when when the bus fare goes up by yeah, yeah. i mean this is not even money that exists is it we're not not even this is all in a computer somewhere this money isn't it yeah. there isn't a pile of it under their bed let's <laughs> it was ken dodd well, after, yeah, very. Tw- yeah, you can say what you like about Ken Dodd. Now, yes. so now we've sadly lost him. Um, so they own ten percent. So that means they will have no say over football and business affairs at all. Then, no. Uh, well, the, they, the chances are that they might be able to appoint a, uh, somebody onto the board of directors. So therefore, their voice will be held. But as far as they're concerned, City have got, or, or the City Group have got football specialists who run the business on a day-to-day basis. What Silver Lake can potentially bring is that they have, I think they're involved in UFC, they're, they're involved yes, in yes. Uh, in some big tech companies, and they might be able to come up with some ideas as, as how how City can sweat the, the assets, how, how it can generate more money from, from new methods of broadcasting. You and I are dinosaurs. We watch television in our lounge. Yeah, no, yes, yes. Our kids don't, our yeah. grandkids don't. Yeah. So what's going to come next? Just... And by having a tech company involved they're going to be at the cutting edge of i just I had that horrible phrase sweat in the assets but also it brings me to mind of when we were talking about berry on our very first podcast when their their idea of sweating the assets was to mortgage part of the car park mm-hmm. to individuals and you've got this company that are essentially putting 300 million quid into man city. what does this mean that man city will have more money available immediately for the transfer window P- Conceivably, yes, but I think practically they don't need it because the city are self-sustaining. I think what we will see happen with this money is that that New York City, who are, who are currently uh, they they rent uh, they rent a stadium. I think they is it they, they rent a stadium from the Yankees, and I think they're being charged a lot of rent. Right. So they want to build their own stadium to have more of their own identity in New York. Yeah, clearly, New York land price is extortionate. Cost of building a stadium will be expensive. So I can see that that being an issue and the aim of the city group will be for new york city to be the, the preeminent team in the mls right, right. Um, we've got this issue in terms of china what's the other big market in the world india so don't be surprised if very shortly we hear of city group acquiring a team in mumbai or somewhere of that really? nature because I mean, the cricket franchise thing was worked so well in India, and again, it's such a vast country. There are a lot of football fans that you. Yeah, I, I think people very much underestimate that the interest in in the English Premier League in, uh, yes, in India. Yes, um, Silver Lake will also, as you rightly said, they will have seen the success of the IPL, and they'll say, "Well, if we can get to be half as successful as that." Crunch, crunch, crunch! Numbers, numbers, numbers! We're going to make a lot of money. So the clue is, if the next World Cup's in India. We we know which way the wind's blowing. Then, don't we? Now, was was Silver Lake specifically interested in Man City, or was it the Premier League? Do we know whether they were sniffing around other clubs, or was it, or do you think it was always City as a hugely successful brand, for want of a better word? Well, we we don't know any detail. I think I think the what's what Silver Lake saw was the multi-club ownership uh, model, right. and how therefore that some of the clubs within that model have a lot more growth potential. The, the Premier League, to a certain extent, is is got as big as it can potentially go. Um, you know, we, we've seen in terms of the TV deals, they are tapering off. The sponsorship deals are going about. You know, Ma- Manchester United sponsorship, as we were saying the other week, they're 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 flatlining these days. So, if you want to grow, you need to grow outside of the UK. Okay. Now, what you're based in Liverpool? Yeah. You you 
you know a lot about Liverpool football. I know that from experience from the pub next door. What are the ramifications, do you think, for the rest of the Premier League? Do you think this is now Liverpool's last chance? If Liverpool don't win the Premier League this year, they will be financially unable to win it in the future because City will simply be able to afford to invest as much as they want in players? I, I, I don't think so. City, City are still be, will be bound by financial fair play rules. So therefore, will they? The, well, I know they got very smart lawyers, they got very yeah. smart accountants. Well, but because one of the themes of this pod is that the financial fair play rules have been flouted. Or, or tested, shall we say? Yeah, and and looking at Manchester City's res- Manchester City published its results um, last week. Were they well bound? They they were extremely well bound <laughs> indeed. Um, but there are some things which which give you know the, the cynics the the critics ammunition. So, for example, Manchester City has got four hundred and fifty employees. Manchester United's got nine hundred. Liverpool's got eight hundred. Arsenal's got nearly eight hundred. So, so, so the, tell me those figures again. How Man, many, Man United have got how many? About nine hundred employees. The football club has got nine hundred employees. Yeah, but if you think about the commercial department, if you think about the I people that work s- in the training department and so on. Um, so, a, fo- a football club has, has, is employing a lot of people to do a lot of issues. Yeah, nine hundred, though. That's well, until recently, it was Manchester. Manchester's biggest private sector employer. Is that so? And I think people don't realise that people, when they talk about football club wages, yeah, we, of course we associate that with the players. But I've, I've got a mate who's, who's one of the head stewards and, and he goes on all the away trips and he looks after the coaches and he, 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 you know, he, he, his work starts for a Saturday match. His, mark, his work will start on a Thursday um, when he'll have to go through doing, doing uh, inspections of the ground, making sure the turnstiles, making sure that everybody's being trained appropriately. There'll be briefings and so on. So a football club does employ a lot of local people. Um, and, and this is something which people don't realise when clubs get relegated. When when Villa were relegated from the Premier League two or three years ago, people were saying, oh, oh well, the players are going to have to go and take a pay cut. I don't, I don't give a damn about the players yeah, and their wages. Yeah, yeah. It was the fact that three 300 people lost their job. And so, local, well, also, and local businesses are impacted and, yeah. and, and all sorts. So, do, uh, for, this is probably a subject for another pod, but are football clubs paying a living wage in general? Um, the majority of the clubs in the Premier League have committed themselves to playing the living wage, good, okay. um, and that's good. And I think Palace were one of the first. Yes, we were one of the first that. to sign up. Yeah, yeah, which we were very proud of. The, the, just one final question before I ask you the question that seems counterintuitive about the, the trophies being bad news for City financially. How bad is this for Man United? I mean, how much of a slap in the face for, for Man United is is this, considering where United fans and the club think? They should be, and, and you know there was part of me that was actually saddened by watching Man United be outplayed by Sheffield United. Not a, not a big part, but when you think of how important it is, you know, I'm writing a book about football history at the moment. When you think about how important Man United is to the history of football in this country, going back you know before Munich, way beyond that, Newton Heath, and then you know the Europe, they're a huge club, historically, traditionally a huge club, and this seems like a they're going to be lapped by Man City at the moment. I mean, this, this seems another indication of how far behind they're falling Man City. And it's only 10 years ago when they were so far ahead of City. Well, Manchester United's wages are still bigger than those in Manchester City, but they employ a lot more people. And, and, and this is not player wages, this is overall wage bill. Whether that includes the player wages. But again, this goes back to some of the, the strange things about Manchester City. If, if you take a look at the board of directors at Manchester United, highest paid directors on 3 million. At Spurs, it's 2 million. At Arsenal, it's 2, yeah, two million and so on. At, at Liverpool, it's 1.4. Highest paid director at Manchester City Football Club Limited, zero. 
well, I'm tempted to say that's how it should be, but you know, that's a naive, romantic point of view. So why is that then? Why are they not getting paid money? Because they're getting paid through other. Sources. Because they're getting yeah, paid sure, through sure. the city football group, it right. would appear. But this this means that the critics will say, "Well, hold on, what's happening with City? Yeah, why are they complying with financial fair play? It's because they're incurring costs and they're parking them in Melbourne, or they're parking them in Girona, or they're parking them in 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 uh, Japan, and so on." Uh, and this makes the people involved with financial fair play makes their job pretty tough. Right, hold your breath for everybody. One final question before we get on to the election. Hey, you thought there was an escape. There isn't. Now, I've still, I, I do research this podcast, but what I don't do is deep, deep research because I like to be surprised by what you tell me. I, I don't like to be saying, yes, I know, I agree. I like to be surprised, but I can't think of any way round how this next question can be a question, but it is because the producer who's not here which is why we're all so light-hearted and giddy at the moment, assures me. So there is a scenario whereby Man City winning too many trophies could be financially yep. disadvantaged. That's not a word. Dis- you know, could be financially not good. If, if, you, if you look at the small print of the accounts, and yeah, that's, that's what my job is, right at the very, very back of them, there was a little note which says um, Manchester City will potentially have to pay players and former clubs just over £200 million if certain goals are achieved. Now, one would presume that those goals are going to be winning all the trophies. So these are sell-on and buy-on clauses in yeah, contracts. And yeah, so, so they, they will be sort of contingent on, upon achieving success. Um, and it's normally linked to you know, appearances or, or trophies. Uh, you know, the big one, I think, as far as City's owners are concerned, City fans, less of an issue. Uh, you know, I, I, I've got lots of friends who are City fans. Yeah. Um, um, would, would be the Champions League. I, th- I think that would have a, a huge uh, ratchet impact uh, upon upon City's costs. If any football clubs are listening to this, by the way, uh, some people do read the small print. No matter how small your print gets, Kieran will get to the end of it and will read it. So don't be put, tucking things away. Somebody will find it. The, the knock-on clauses thing, again, it's, it's just, this is a question we'll ask uh, our agent friend when we get him back in, who is very good. Um they are interesting. We had Jamie Vardy on as a guest on the show I was working on this week, and his agent was confident enough when he signed for Leicester from Fleetwood to put in a massive clause that if he played for England, he would get a, a, a lot of money, which takes a bit of chutzpah for when you're signing a club from a, a non-league team, as Fleetwood were at the time. So this is a potential... It, it's a no lose situation really for agents in a way isn't it because I think a bigger club would say alright fine put it in he's never going to play for England but you can't lose by putting it in the contract can you really? No it, it's fantastic and, and you know fair play to Jamie Vard I, mean, I, I saw him play uh, last weekend and he was superb he of was course abso- at Brighton yes, yeah, absolutely yeah. magnificent as, as he was player. at Sellers Park I have to say yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah why he's not in the England team is that's for another show. Well, he's, he's sort of semi-retired. Yeah, he decided because yeah. I, I, I can more or less answer that question as it came up. You know, it's, it's, it's. He, Harry Kane's going to start every game basically, yeah. and Southgate's never going to play Vardy off Kane. So I think, right? I think Jamie Vardy because he's getting on a bit now in football terms. And I yeah. think he probably felt he wanted to extend his Premier League career right. rather than carry on playing for England. And, and Southgate has made it known that he wants to focus on youth but I, you know, on form he should be because yeah. actually I, without a doubt having seen Liverpool and Man City at Palace this season Leicester are the best team I've seen at Palace this season without a doubt yeah, same here. I, I've, I think they could easily split Liverpool and City and possibly give Liverpool 
a run for the money. But that's football. We're not here to talk <laughs> about football. <laughs> now, the, the election is in uh, full swing, everybody, in case you hadn't noticed. Um, there are some ramifications for football. For example, the Tory party... I, I write on Have I Got News For You, so I, I've read the Tory party manifesto in far more detail than I would in normal times, because in normal times I wouldn't read it. It would be in the waste paper bin. And because this is not a public service broadcaster, I can be as unbalanced as I want, frankly. But rather bizarrely, in the Tory party manifesto, there is a promise that if they get elected, they will launch a joint UK-Ireland bid for the World Cup. Now, leaving aside the fact that Boris Johnson subconsciously can't get around the idea that, that Ireland is now a separate country, he's clearly living in the same past as Jacob Rees-Mogg. Why, it intrigues me as to why the Tory party would put that in their manifesto. Now, obviously, we'll have a bridge to Ireland by then. We know that. That's, that's, a, that's a given. But I, I just wonder why they think that would be a good thing to put in a manifesto, because for the most part, I don't think people vote in elections for sporting reasons, do they? I don't think they vote for sporting reasons, but I think if there was nothing in relation to something positive about football, it could be used by, by the opposition. Oh, so okay, so I've looked at the manifestos of, of all the the parties, yes. and I think Labour were the first to launch. Um, theirs is very much rich versus poor, yes. so therefore they, yeah. they, they name-checked both Berry and Bolton. Yeah. Um, they said that they were going to review the fit and proper test. They said that supporters' trusts would be able to appoint up to two directors. Yes, yes. And that, that's a funny one because my experience of supporters' trusts is that you've got, you know, you've got the People's Supporters' Trust of Judea and the Judean People's Supporters' Trust, and, and they all want to see themselves as being the, 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 the one which has been validated. That's a reference to a Monty Python film, folks. Just, uh, but also, Corbyn, Jeremy Corbyn has been very vocal this week. I said at a rally, I think in Liverpool, he was talking about the German model of football and he was, I think, more cleverly than the Tory party manifesto. He, he was, as you say, making that distinction. He was talking about fans being priced out of... He spoke about the Premier League. Uh, but that is something that touches a nerve, I think, especially outside London, where money's probably tighter than the than for, for the rest of us. But even, you know, even at Palace, there are people who can't afford to pay for their season ticket in full so they, they, we have an instalment scheme so, so I think he can't really go wrong talking about that in a, in a sense can he to the constituencies that he's trying to win over that, that's right and, and I think he's been uh, he's been very critical of Mike Ashley and there's been yes. a bit of a spat between the Labour Party um, Labour Party have also spoken about safe standing about uh, some some of the Premier League TV money going to grassroots and I'm thinking well it already does. We've already been yes, through this, yes. and I think people underestimate uh, the, the Premier League's actually quite generous in some ways, less generous in others. I think we're going to talk about EPPP at one stage. And yes, yeah, I think, we'll think that's next week. I mean, yeah. Um, so, so that's that's Labour. Um, the Conservative Party manifesto that came afterwards, a few days afterwards, and again, safe standing, uh, governance, owners and directors. Says it's all there, um, and, and they, they've also spoken about 150 million pound community ownership fund going to replace the 10 times that amount of money that they've taken away from local councils to, to build uh, local pitches. So, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cynical about all politicians when they start promising money. Liberal Democrats, again, safe standing. Um, I've not seen uh, the, the SNP manifesto came out this morning. I tried to take a look, didn't see anything about football. Um, and finally, uh, the Brexit party, two world wars and one world cup has to be sung before all matches. <laughs> 
I, I tell you what I can tell you about the Brexit Party manifesto is their environmental policy. Oh, right. Which uh, can be summed up in three words because it is three words. It's plant more trees. Oh, Which came, it, I mean, it, it's, it came up in, in a writing day for if I got news for you. And to be fair to the Brexit Party, we know what their, their policies are and pretty yeah. much everything. Yeah, yeah. But it just made me laugh that at the end of the day, they decided they had a bit of space left on the fag packet. So they thought, well, we'll put something else in the big plant more trees. The Labour Party one interests me, though, because Jeremy Corbyn has been making a lot of promises. He talked about. He's, he's talked about things that I've talked about in a romantic way. Why can't. And he's talking about making the Premier League, but also clubs in the Premier League, put aside some money for grassroots football although he's very keen to point out that grassroots football doesn't include Berry, for example he's talking about grassroots he's talking about football below the pyramid in a sense isn't he so he's talking about people playing football at a very local level rather than more economic fairness in the league itself to an extent there isn't he this episode of the price of football is brought to you by the ai powered workspace notion what if you had access to tomorrow's tools today in notion you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone. Whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football, and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. I, th- I think he is. Um, I think you could ask, well, well, why isn't that money there to yeah. begin with? Yeah. And, and the reason for that is over a long period of time that there has been a huge reduction in in the provision of facilities um, by local councils, the closure of school playing of school fields. Yeah. You know, so yeah, we, I think we both grew up uh, yeah. through part of that. Um, the the Premier League is a very easy target. Yeah, it, it does generate a lot of money, but overall, the Premier League loses money. In, if you if you did it on a club by club basis, overall, it actually loses money. Well, I think you sh- we should point out as well for new listeners that the Premier League doesn't really. The Premier League is the twenty clubs that are in the Premier League at the time, aren't yeah. they? Essentially, so it's just but, a, it's, it's members club. But it's a members club. But I, I have to say, from my experience as a trustee of the Palace Foundation. The Premier League at least attempt to do some really, really good stuff in the in the community and yeah. encourage their clubs. That there are certain things they have to do community-wise. So I, I was surprised, I have to say, by at least the good intent of the Premier League towards the rest of football. Now, unfortunately, as we've seen with, with Berry, that doesn't doesn't necessarily end up with handouts to save a club. But there there is at least a recognition amongst the Premier League clubs that football has a responsibility to its community, and that involves a financial one. And that involves looking after 
people through, through various charities that uh, are struggling. Yeah, and and, and the, the Premier League does give money to the Football Foundation. Yeah. It's, it's a very generous benefactor there. Could it give more? Yeah, everybody can always yeah, give yeah, more money. Cool. Um, and it, it's, it's easy to point fingers. But then if you say, well, hold on, let, let's just take a look at at football as a whole does it pay a lot of money um in tax and the answer to that is yes and that's one of our readers questions i think we got we have yeah and and also i think it's fair to say man city for example in that part of manchester east manchester have done a spectacular job in a way i mean they've they've really rejuvenated the finances of that area and they seem to seriously or to take seriously their, their responsibility to that community they haven't i mean it seems strange so you walk to tottenham's new ground and it's it's like this vast spaceship's been plonked down in the middle of an area that isn't being helped at all by by Tottenham, whereas Manchester City have from the start tried to help redevelop an area that needed help. Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, I mean, Tottenham is sort of it's a classic diamond in a cesspit approach. Yeah. Uh, whereas um, I, I used to go and watch when, when my kids were, were were first born. I used to go and watch City because you know, if you've got two you've got two nippers at home, me disappearing. 500 mile round trip to go and watch a football match isn't isn't good for domestic harmony so i used to i used to potter along to main road and it, it was it was a crumbling football stadium yeah. in a in a pretty uh, pretty tough area but what they have done is uh, since they effectively bought the the stadium they've got a 250 year lease from the council a they've 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 built it it up but also the surrounding areas if you rightly said have been improved and they they know that the benefits to that is that's how they're going to build their fan base because they've got to take a different approach to Manchester United and Liverpool who have got the, the history and the heritage which attracts things on, on on a legacy basis from from people in different countries right, now we've got a couple of questions to ask at the end of the pod so I do want to get on to this this story which and I like that there aren't many pods who mention Armenia, Man City and Partick Thistle in the same half hour. But this Partick Thistle story is a proper feel-good football story. So would you like to tell us, for those who don't know it, what, what's happened here? Um, a, a Partick Thistle fan won a spectacular amount of money on, on the Euro millions. 200 and something million. Oh, it was, it was, yeah, crazy, crazy yeah. sum of money. Um, and um, I think he initially says he, he wanted to help the club out financially. Yeah. His health has been, you know, has been up and down, um, but also I, I think that there was therefore it was an expectation that he was just going to go and write out a cheque for a huge sum of money, and, and to a certain extent, I, I suspect he felt a little bit used by that. Um, so the relationship soured, um, and it looked as if over the summer that he was going to to stop the funding, yep. and, and potentially Partick Thistle was actually then in a very very difficult situation. Yep. Um, he's he's had a he's had a he's had a rethink, and I think he's now giving something like six and a half million pounds to the club to effectively clear its debts. But the really good thing is he's going to say, "I don't want this money back. This money is going to go towards the formation of a trust, which is going to run it on my behalf. And if I'm no longer here, then the club is going to be." Secure. And he's also bought some of the land that two of the stands at least are built on, which will secure their future as well exactly and this is i think the the model is based on a, another scottish club motherwell they've got a similar model i understand is that right yeah so, so the, again they, they've had a benefactor and, and that's what we are seeing in scotland the same with uh, aberdeen have just got a new person come in hearts have been resurrected since since they had they had major financial troubles as well um 
Scottish football does appear to have a more of a, of a local community based approach where where the fans and Scott, Scotland's a very funny place you know, 95% of people in Scotland support one or two yeah, clubs yes of course but the, the, for, for the fans of the other clubs who, who feel that they're being left out it's great to have people of this nature who will come along and, and help we're, we're, we're talking about supporters trust in some detail next week because we've had a very loyal listener from show one an Exeter fan who's, who's been not nagging she's been asking why we haven't to deal with her question so we're going to be doing that Next week, but it, what's been interesting about this when we talk, and I talk to people about this Partick uh, story, which to me seems like a fantastic story. Um, but I'm amazed by how many football fans, when you say, right, the club's going to be run by the fans, for every fan that says that's brilliant, there's, a, there's another fan who went, that's going to be a, a disaster. I just really wouldn't let fans run a club. But it's so, how does the model work, Brian, without treading on next week's toes? So, so, but he's. Is he talking about fans being able to buy shares or is he talking about coming up with a committee of fans who are voted in by other fans who will then run the club as directors, so to speak? Or? I, I, I think there will be the sort of the supporters' trust will nominate a couple of people. Um, so therefore, you know, who appoints the people to be the board members of the supporters' trust in the first place? And, and it can get quite complicated. I would imagine that he would, would like to have some initial input, um, but uh, in, in due course that will become more independent. And, and his view, he, he just wants to be seen as... I'm, I've been very lucky to, to win on the lottery. I want to show yeah. the club that I love that I love them. I've always had a soft spot for Partick Thistle, partly because I just know if I'd been born in Glasgow, I wouldn't have ended up supporting one of the successful teams. My dad would have made me support Partick Thistle. But also, I love their kit. I've been obsessed with kits as a kid, and they used to have a yellow and red stripe, which I thought was. Better. And also, I love. I also love a club that does isn't in the place where it's it's nowhere near Partick anymore, <laughs> which is always that's fascinating. It's Crystal Palace is nowhere near Crystal Palace. I've always liked that. Um, so that's a good story, but that's one we'll keep an eye on because it's that's a story that we really, really hope is successful. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that the initial plan just to give money to the club wasn't the right idea. So just so we all dream of winning the lottery and going right, I'm going to give this to Palace or Brighton and be part of it. But that it's not as easy as that, is it? I, I think I think you've got to structure any form of investment because we, we were talking about Manchester United earlier. Uh, Manchester United's got an awful lot of money. Why is Manchester United not successful? It's not because they've, they're short of cash. It's because the quality of the decisions they've made with that money has proven to be so so poor. Di Maria is a classic example. Yeah. You know, uh, Fred. Uh, Fred Sanchez, yeah, you know, yeah. the list is the list is ridiculously long. Yeah. Um, Pogba to an extent. To Pogba to an extent, yeah. and the fact that Manchester United are actually relying on three youth players to score their goals last weekend. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. Is, yeah, is yes, fantastic in yeah, one way if you, if you believe in that romance of football. Yeah. It's an indictment of their recruitment policy. Uh, now, questions from listeners, and they're topical. Uh, two about Tottenham, basically. First of all. Uh, I mean, this is a huge star. I was with Tottenham fans when this news came out, and it, it still didn't look right, Jose Mourinho standing on the touch side. It looked like some sort of children's relief, comic relief special, <laughs> the manager swap somehow, although he looks 10 years younger, bizarrely. Um, but Bernard has asked, what what will happen to... Presumably Man United will have paid Jose Mourinho a lot of money for him to no longer be their manager. Presumably they no longer have to now, is it Tottenham? Would that, would that have been part of the deal, that if he goes to another club within a certain time? It 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 varies. I, I managed to speak to somebody within the game, and he says that individual managers' contracts will have uh, a variety of, of clauses in, in terms of what happens upon the manager being sacked. So if we go back to Manchester United sacking David Moyes, David Moyes has signed a six-year contract, so, so potentially you would have thought, well, if United sack him within the first year... 
that's a huge payoff. But if you actually go to the date when David Moyes was sacked, it was the day after United could no longer qualify for the Champions League. And they had a clause that if in the first year they failed to qualify for the Champions League, they could just pay him one year's salary. Silver-tongued lawyers have done their job. Football's mucky, isn't it? Uh, Football is so, uh, so mucky. And the bizarre thing is we could leave this pod and he could be the next manager of Everton. As we speak, it could be signing the deal at Everton for a lot of money. Well, another question that Joseph has asked us about Spurs refinancing with the stadium. Basically, his question is the, the money Spurs have got to pay for the new stadium versus the income they'll be getting. Does that leave any money for Jose Mourinho to spend on players? Well, the, the good news is yes. Uh, I mean, it, the, the loans were looking a little bit scary. The loans are currently six hundred and thirty-seven million pounds to the banks. Now, those are that HSBC, Goldman, uh, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. So, that, yeah, those are those are big heavyweight banks. Are these are these loans spread out because of the size of the loan? Yeah, so they, they want to spread the risk. So, so, oh right, so the banks want to spread the risk. Yeah. So, so there isn't a bank that's going to go right. We'll lend you all of that. For five no, no. Oh, what, right, what, okay. what you tend to see in sort of big corporate finance deals is that the banks will say, "I'm a little bit scared." You know, that, that's that's a big bad debt to have have to take. So therefore, they they tend to join together and put together a, a, right. a joint approach. Um, originally, th- th- those those loans would were due for payment in 2022. So you know, that that was a big issue. But Spurs have refinanced the loans, um, and now they don't have to be repaid, and they're effectively interest only for up to 30 years. They're paying interest at 2.66% uh, over 30 years. That, that's ridiculous. They consolidated low. their debts into one easy payment, essentially. Is that- <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. Really? Um, so that works out as an annual interest cost of £16 million a year. Now, if you take just the, in interest, just in interest. When do they start repaying the actual loan? It, it's it's one of those interest, a bit like an interest only. Mortgage. Oh, I see. So you, you pay nothing back, and, right, then and then thirty years time, you got a problem. But hey, you, know, you and me aren't going to be around here in thirty <laughs> years time. So, so it's one of those things that we, yeah, we, we don't particularly worry about. I'm glad to hear a Premier League football team has the same approach to money I have. Though that's great. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, let the future worry about that. Um, so, in terms of uh, how much extra money have they got, when when they were at White Hart Lane, uh, Spurs were generating annual match day revenues of around about 40 to 45 million pounds a year a year a year oh crikey right that's not that's not as impressive as i thought it was going to no, be but but that was at white hart lane right they were looking enviously at at the emirates yeah they were look, at, looking enviously at old trafford 100 to 110 million a year now you think about what spurs have done they've got if you, if you want to get more money from fans you can a are you going to get more fans? Well, yes, capacity has gone from thirty-five thousand to sixty thousand. Secondly, are you going to charge them more? Mm. If you look at Spurs' season ticket prices, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, you know, we 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 used to having sort of you know ones. One for one stand, one for another stand. Yeah. Spurs, I think, have got about fourteen or eighteen different price points. Oh, right. So therefore, they have they've split literally seats by row by row, and so they're charging a lot more per ticket. And the third issue is. They've got more matches taking place because it's not only Premier League and Champions League. It's the fact that they're hiring out the NFL. The fact yeah. that they're now they are trying to be the the go to place in London for summer concerts and, and things of that nature. So you've got more activities taking place. You've got more fans coming in, and you've got the fans paying more per ticket. You put th- all those three together, and. I think that they're potentially looking at an extra 50 to 60 million pounds a year coming in for an interest cost of 16. Right. So the good news is for Jose Mourinho, the I, money's available. I believe, I may be wrong on this, I believe they've got more 
five-star restaurants than any other Premier League club. I'll take your word for that. I don't know if Tottenham fans would be proud of that. It's some consolation for Berry fans listening to this, isn't it? This yes, is a club yeah. with more five-star restaurants than any other club. <laughs> now, this is I want to end on this question because this is a, a question that um, Alan has asked it, but it's, he's not the only one. This is a question that a lot of people want to know. How much do Premier League clubs pay in tax to HMRC? And, and can you equate that to, as we're in an election, nurses, for example? How many nurses... Would that tax pay for? I've, I've gone away and researched this. Of course you have. <laughs> I'm amazed you had to go away and research it, to be honest. Um, football, football clubs pay pay tax effectively in, in three ways. First of all, they if they make profits, they will pay corporation tax on their profits. Not many clubs make profits because all the money goes in wages. So so they only paid about £90 million in, in, in corporation tax between them. But that's, bit, that's all above board. That's, that's all above board. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. No problems with that whatsoever. As we've discussed, and, we, and everybody talks about, well, the main cost of, in respect of, of footballers uh, is, is wages and football clubs. Yeah. The, the, the tax on that works out as around about £1.3 billion a year. Now, you might say, well, well, is that the players paying that or is that the clubs paying that? Well, the, the clubs are giving them the contracts of employment. So, so effectively, the clubs are, are, are paying a large proportion. Of that. They're also paying the NI and things of that nature. Um, if you put that into a grand total, you add on the fact that VAT is paid as well, and I worked out the VAT figures, that gives a total tax paid by the football industry, sort of purely from match day profits and, and employment taxes of about £1.55 billion. That equates to 57,000 nurses at an average. So football is a big contributor. So £1.55 billion pounds into, yeah. To, yeah. Uh, that, and an average, I said an average nurse's salary was, yeah. was about twenty seven thousand on a, you know, sort of which somebody. is a source of shame in itself. But I yeah. mean, uh, actually, I think you probably would have surprised a lot of listeners with that, as I think a lot of us I say a lot of listeners. I mean, me, because I think a lot of us would have assumed that football clubs, like big corporations, have professional people whose job it is to find ways of not paying tax. But it's the, I. I've, well, we've we found out how many people at the HMRC have full time investigating football, and it's two yep. you told us, and one of them is on permanent sick leave based. So, it, it, what's their relationship with HMRC? Is there pretty much HMRC says, right, you pay, you pay a proper amount, and we'll leave you alone? Is that the? Yeah, if if you if you talk to tax inspectors, and I've I've taught tax inspectors uh, in in my past, you've taught them. I've, I've oh taught my them. word, you've <laughs> lived, haven't you? You've <laughs> run nightclubs in Blackpool. You've taught tax inspectors. What are the, <laughs> the extremes in your life? <laughs> Incredible. Um, if you didn't listen to the nightclub story, by the way, in the last, I I urge you to go back and listen to the last pod in which we found out. The, the shady, seamy world of <laughs> Kieran Maguire, Professor of Football Finance at Liverpool University. So you've taught tax inspectors, so you have a relationship with yeah. them. And, and they say... I know a lot of them as well, I have to say, but for very, <laughs> very much the wrong reasons. <laughs> their, their attitude is, if you pay a reasonable amount of tax, then then we'll be fine. If, 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 if it looks too good to be true, yeah, if, if it looks like you're, you know, uh, you've got a footballer who, who we know is on you know, 60 or 70 grand a week on average, yeah. um, and, and they're claiming they're on two grand a week, they'll investigate further. Sure. So there are issues right. in terms of issue rights. There are issues in, in terms of deferred payments and large lump sums to pensions and so on. But even so, 
um you know the, the paye system is is pretty good in the main there are a number of clubs who are under investigation um which has an impact upon the ability of their owners to sell those clubs Premier League clubs? Premier League clubs. That's interesting. Yeah. Which obviously, you can't name names. I can name Newcastle because it's in their fake, accounts. Fake, oh, it's, it's, in, it's, oh, in, it's uh, in the small print. Oh, oh well, they, well, there you go, everybody. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, it's a shame we have to end the pod. We'll, we'll come back to that next week. It's, uh, I, I actually think it's a, a, a genuinely positive note to end on, to learn that football isn't trying to avoid its tax responsibility, as so many other companies of that size are yeah, I, I don't think they have any choice um, you know, un, under the PA system um, well you've ruined it a bit now, they, you're, you're, you're in it exactly <laughs> Basically. well this is uh, The Price of Football is a uh, Dap Dip podcast uh, produced by Guy Kilty and recorded here at Soho Radio so thanks to all of those people there's more music to finish with again from your mate I believe the uh, he's the groove generator. <laughs> is he the groove generator in the way that my friend, for example, was the Penge Penis? Which was the most embarrassing things that ever happened to him because he was a, a member of a Palace message board and they all gave themselves names like the Penge Penis and the Axe Man and the Viking and they had a meet-up in London Bridge and because obviously the message board, they had to identify themselves. So he had to turn up with a little cardboard thing saying the Penge Penis... <laughs> And the axe man was about eighty-five, and so he's, the message board didn't last long after that. So is, it, he's, so is he the groove generator in that way, or is he just? Uh, I think online he's, he's, he's more of a groove generator. Okay, well, he's, he's I don't know what the kids say these days. His tracks are banging. Brilliant. <laughs> I'm for the